0: From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis
1: on the Air. No abortion shall be performed or induced upon a woman except in cases of medical emergency. Period.
2: Period. This issue
0: is so complicated. What is a medical emergency? And it just makes me angry that male politicians are delving into our privacy.
1: The line between uh, what counts as a contraception, and I'm using air quotes here, and what counts as, uh, as something that causes an abortion is not easy to draw.
0: I was wondering if the HIPAA regulations are still going to protect the privacy of my health information.
2: What about cases of somebody who's become pregnant through rape or incest? Does this law have any exceptions for them? No. I'm Sarah Fenske. This week, Politico broke news heard around the world. The site revealed that members of the Supreme Court were drafting an opinion that would reverse Roe v. Wade and leave abortion's legality up to each individual state. And in Missouri, we don't necessarily need a crystal ball to see how that would play out. State lawmakers previously approved a quote-unquote trigger law that goes into place if Roe is repealed. But what exactly is in that law, and how would it go into effect? That's news you need to know if the Supreme Court follows through on what that draft opinion suggested. And so, here to tell us more about that is Marcia McCormick. She is a law. Prof- she is a professor of law and women's and gender studies at Saint Louis University. Marcia, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to start with kind of a big question. We may chip away at it. Um, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, what happens in Missouri? Does this trigger law immediately go into effect?
1: Essentially, it does. There has to be some uh, like sort of a ministerial action that happens first. Either the governor certifies um, that it can go into effect or the legislature passes a resolution or the attorney general issues um, something that basically says it can go into effect and then it will.
2: OK, so this could be as simple as Attorney General Eric Schmidt could just decide I'm doing this.
1: Basically, yes. OK,
2: that seems like something he might want to do. So yes. this is a very real probability yes. Missouri's looking at. Yes. So what are some specific provisions in this law that would then go into effect?
1: Well, so the specific provision is that um, and I can even I can even read it, um, which is that uh, any abortion um, uh or basically, no abortion shall be performed or induced upon a woman except in cases of medical emergency, period. Period. Yes. Okay. And so that act of inducing an abortion will be a Class B felony. Um, and it is uh, the only uh, – well, it is an affirmative defense – for the person who's charged um, with this felony to um, assert and prove by preponderance of the evidence that there was a medical emergency um, that caused that person to perform or uh, induce the abortion.
2: And so when you're saying this becomes a felony, this is not for the the woman who'd be
1: asking for this procedure. This would be for the health care provider? It depends. So the um, the trigger law does say that a woman who asks, well, that uh A woman cannot be um, convicted of conspiracy to uh, commit. Uh, this felony. But the definition of who can be liable, who can be criminally liable is anyone who induces an an abortion. And so if a woman, for example, um, induced an abortion herself by um, uh, taking an abortion-inducing drug, it's not clear under the statute that she couldn't be prosecuted. Now, proponents of the bill might say that that was never their intent. um, But the language of the of the bill is ambiguous and might allow a zealous prosecutor um, to bring charges. Okay. And so we're hearing
2: about these uh, medications that women can take uh, to get abortions in places where they don't have a provider willing or or able to do it. This is something people are getting these pills through the mail. Mm -hmm. You see there would be an opening there for somebody potentially to be prosecuted for that. Yes.
1: Yes. There there definitely would be if the the medication was issued by someone in Missouri, there would be criminal uh, liability for the person who um, provided that most likely, Um, but also potentially for the woman who took the medication. Okay, So this would be a big change. Um, People could not perform abortions in
2: Missouri. Now, there's also a lot of talk, except medical emergency. Let me pull it back to that. Yeah. What is a medical emergency?
1: So in a separate provision, there um, is a definition of medical emergency, which is, um, it's a little complicated. So it's a condition that is, um, or a medical condition that uh, necessitates immediate abortion of a pregnant. To avert the death of the pregnant person or um, for uh, where a delay will create a serious risk of substantial and irreversible physical impairment of a major bodily function, right? So that's pretty narrow. Okay. Um, and the. Um, it's the doctor has to do more than just believe that death is imminent or that um this the serious um impairment of a major bodily function is imminent that belief has to be reasonable so uh, so like most other doctors would have to agree
2: okay what about cases of somebody who's become pregnant through rape or incest does this law have any exceptions for them no that's a very <laughs> simple
1: answer there yeah. it's,
2: it's not even nope. mentioned nope Okay. We're also hearing some talk. People have raised the issue that this could have an impact on Missouri women who are doing um, in vitro fertilization, IVF. Mm -hmm. Do you think this could have any impact
1: on that? Well, so again, it's a little hard to say because the language is ambiguous. Um, And so the definition of abortion involves um, uh, using an instrument or medicine that uh, with the intent to destroy the life of an embryo or fetus in the womb. Um, uh, And so that language could suggest that embryos outside, you know, that are frozen or um, created uh, and not implanted into somebody's uterus would not be, any destruction of them would not count as an abortion. But IVF is also more complicated than that. And so multiple embryos or preembryos are often implanted into a person's uterus um, with the hope that one, only one will survive. So is that act, knowing that like several of the preembryos that are being implanted will not survive, does something have to happen in order to ensure that that doesn't count as a destruction of those embryos. Um, that's not entirely clear. Um, and a creative, um, a cre- well, again, a creative prosecutor might make arguments about what exactly counts as life based on other definitions in the statute that say that a, a human being that is, deserves protection by law is created at fertilization.
2: So on the plain face of it, it doesn't seem like something that would make IVF illegal. However, you're saying a creative prosecutor or somebody who wants to try to push this law in an activist sense, they could take this into a place – that the people who wrote the law maybe didn't even envision.
1: Yes. And I think that's I mean, that's common. Uh, and in fact, you just think about the example of the woman in Texas who was arrested for murder um, for the self-induced abortion. There was no law that she violated, but she was in jail for a period of time. Um, the prosecutor had to sort of persuade uh, both the public and apparently the um, the legal system in Texas that there was no law that she apparently violated. Um, and so there part of the problem is that we have this perception about what's legal that law enforcement um, and prosecutors sometimes um, expand upon.
2: Mm-hmm. What about birth control, things like IUDs? Again, I'm hearing questions from people. Could this be affected by this trigger law?
1: Well, so again, it sort of depends. Um, the Because pr- uh, Pregnancy and well, pregnancy is defined as fertilization rather than the implantation of an egg or of a fertilized egg. The um, uh, some methods of birth control say in their sort of you know description of how they work that they either prevent ovulation, which is not affected by this, mm-hmm. or that they may prevent implantation of a fertilized uh, embryo. And if they prevent implantation, then that counts as a device that causes an abortion under the definitions of this statute. And so um, where, and uh, and IUDs often, because that's how doctors don't really know or haven't always known how they have worked in the past, that's part of the description of how they might work. And things like uh, Plan B, that's part of the description of how it might work. There's the, the morning after pill. That's the morning after pill. And there's been research since then that suggests it actually prohibits ovulation. But that's still, that uh, sort of information is still part, of what gets, uh, what gets described in the FDA information that goes out. Um, and the Supreme Court relied on it in a case called Hobby Lobby, um, discussing why it was, um, well, why some uh, businesses objected to providing those forms of contraception because they believed them to cause abortions. Um, and so the line between Uh, what counts as a contraception, and I'm using air quotes here, and what counts as, uh, as something that causes an abortion is not easy to draw.
2: So Planned Parenthood has kind of been pushing back on this idea that this could affect more than abortion. Uh, they tweeted, "Quote: Overturning Roe v. Wade will take away abortion access, but will not impact your ability to get birth control. Birth control does not meet the criteria for the definition of abortion under Missouri law, since birth control prevents pregnancy and does not end an existing pregnancy. Overturning Roe will not block access to birth control." What would you say to that?
1: Well, I think that um, the what uh, Planned Parenthood really ought to be saying. I mean, they ought to be framing this to to advocate on behalf of their patients to ensure the broadest access to reproductive um, autonomy um, for their patients. Um, That said, that's not necessarily a representation of what someone like our attorney general might argue um, uh, is covered by this statute.
2: And as a lawyer, you understand that these things could play out in ways that even the people who wrote the law May not have intended is is that something you see a lot in your line of work?
1: It is something I see a lot. I mean, the whole there's a big interplay between you know what what drafters think they're doing and then how activists see the potential for um, for using the law in new and creative ways. Um, and so, to a great extent, um, activists can uh, can engage in sort of this legal advocacy where they use the language of the law and explain how it reaches things that maybe the drafters never foresaw or never intended or maybe even hoped depending on the um, on the person, um, but but we're careful to um, not explicitly say. Do
2: you think this law was written in a way that it's pretty clear cut and it's pretty obvious where this is all going? Or is this one a little bit more of a, a smorgasbord of, of different components?
1: It's actually, so it is a, a smorgasbord in one way. The drafters were really trying to cover their bases to take advantage of any changes to federal law, um, to federal constitutional law. And so an example of that, the Trigger Law is not the only, part of the statute. The, um, as part of the statute, there were also three additional, well, maybe five additional <laughs> parts that are um, especially important prohibitions. And they were different uh, gestational age limitations and um, limitations on reasons for which people could seek an abortion. Hmm. Um, and so the the same law says that um, an abortion uh, cannot be induced at eight weeks. It cannot be induced at 14 weeks. It cannot be induced at 18 weeks. It cannot be aduce, induced at 20 weeks. It cannot be induced because solely for the reason the fetus has Down's syndrome, and it cannot be induced solely for the reason of the sex or race of the the fetus. And and then there are a whole bunch of provisions that say if um, any part of this statute is found unconstitutional, the rest survives. And so it's really kind of a, it was a catch-all kind of thing in hopes that the Supreme Court would either uphold Uh, limitations that sort of move back earlier in pregnancy or get rid of Roe altogether. And the trigger law is the if they get rid of Roe altogether, but the other limits are based on different scenarios of what the court might do.
2: Okay, And so if the court says, okay, we're not going to get rid of, um, uh, you know, states can't outright ban abortion, which doesn't seem to be where this draft opinion is going. But say that they pull back a little bit and they say, okay, up to 14 weeks. Missouri at that point is like, we're jumping in. We already have this 14 week ban.
1: Right. And they don't. And there was for the eight, fourteen, 14, uh, 18, and 20-week bans, there's nothing else that has had to be done. Those took effect immediately.
2: Okay. Well, you may have a lot of questions about this, and in fact, I'm going to go to the phone lines because Linda, calling from St. Louis, does have a question for us. Linda, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air.
0: Hi. I was wondering if the HIPAA regulations are still going to protect the privacy of my health information.
2: Uh, Linda, thank you for that question. Marsha, thoughts on that?
1: So that, too, is a really complicated in, uh, question um, because HIPAA only rec- regulates certain kinds of holders of that health information, and it um, mm-hmm. doesn't um, necessarily protect against um information sought in criminal in the criminal context um, or the regulatory context. There is also, um, so one of the other big things that's sort of being talked about in the media quite a bit is that there are apps that people use, for example, to track their periods and their fertility. That kind of information is not subject to HIPAA regulation because the app that's collecting it isn't a healthcare provider or an employer. Um, and so those are the people who are bound by HIPAA. Um, not other people that might get your information.
2: Hmm. So there could be some real issues here. It sounds like Linda's right to maybe be concerned about that part of this. Yes, yes. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with Marcia. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. And now back to today's conversation. We're talking to Marcia McCormick. She's a professor of law and women's and gender studies at St. Louis University, helping us break down uh, what happens if the Supreme Court follows through with its plans to repeal Roe v. Wade. We have heard from a number of people with thoughts on this. Uh, Lyann says on Instagram, quote, women have the right to choose their own destiny. Roe v. Wade must stand for women to achieve true true equality. What was the struggle for 50 years ago about? if it all comes down to overturn this settled law. Betty also emails, "I am so concerned for the women needing an abortion who cannot afford to travel, take time off of work, or arrange for child care for existing children. The wealthy will always be able to find a way to deal with, quote, the problem. I worked for ten years in the St. Louis Planned Parenthood Clinic. We served many different women from all walks of life. I remember Bosnian women already with multiple children, afraid to tell their husbands of their pregnancy, having some language difficulty coming to the clinic. One morning, I made the comment that our waiting room looked like a mini United Nations, given the great diversity of ethnicities. If you have thoughts on this or you have questions, you can join us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. And you can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Marcia, we have a caller ready to join us. You ready for this? Sure. All right. Great. Let's go to Andrea, uh, who is calling from St. Louis. Andrea, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hello. I have a question um,
0: coming from a Catholic bioethics tradition. We believe that certain procedures count as an abortion and certain procedures do not count as an abortion. So that someone would be qualified or allowed, permitted to induce labor if they're treating a pathology. And that would not be understood as intending termination, but termination would be a consequence. And so it would be permitted in certain circumstances. And I'm wondering if this law gets at this question of what procedures count as abortion and which ones don't, or if all procedures that would lead to termination of pregnancy are automatically an abortion.
2: Andrea, that is a great question. I don't know, Marsha, if we're putting you on the spot with this. I know bioethics is not your background.
1: No, and, and so I'll say just a couple of things. The first, to answer your question, that kind of nuance is not in the statute. It says, any... Um, Anything that terminates a pregnancy, or uh, is a um, or uh, that is intent, uh, well, anything that terminates a pregnancy counts as an abortion. Um, and I will also say that uh, before um, before the uh, before Roe. Um, the medical community didn't really talk about what we think, what we talk about now. And even after Roe for a while, the medical community did not talk about uh, abortion as, uh, or anything that happened to end a pregnancy in the third trimester about as an abortion, because really the the procedure is to induce labor um, for the most part. And so the all of that was just inducing labor or premature labor. And partly as a result of legalization of all of this, um, uh, the language has changed and popular understanding of these terms has developed in ways that don't necessarily match either the um, bioethics tradition or the medical um, understanding.
2: Andrea, do do you feel like that answers uh, your question? Yes, that's
0: helpful. I think that we have a lot of work to do if this law does go into effect at really getting into the nitty gritty on these procedures.
2: Mm -hmm. Andrea, thank you for those thoughts. I appreciate you reaching out. Let's go back to the phone lines. Mark is calling from St. Louis. Hi, Mark, you're on St. Louis on the air.
0: Hi, yeah. I just uh, would be interested in hearing the professor's thoughts on how this law and the trigger laws and the Supreme Court's decision. Uh, just relate to her thoughts on privacy law and privacy in particular in America. Like the last caller we was talking about HIPAA, her HIPAA rights. And I don't know, I just feel like Americans are more or less willing to just give away their privacy, especially like to like social media. Um, so
2: I'd just like to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, Mark, thank you for that. Marsha?
1: Yeah, you know, it is uh, so... Privacy is a, a tough one <laughs> for a couple of reasons. So one, you know, privacy is the language that the court used to describe the right in Roe versus Wade, um, and it, it got mod- it has been sort of modified over time a little bit to talk about sort of autonomy in important family and intimate decisions. Um, uh, although it's still often sort of linked with privacy. Uh, And there's a separate like kind of concept between being able to keep being able to do something without government interference, being able to keep information away from the government. And that's also viewed as kind of different from being able to keep information away from other people, Mm. not the government. Right. And so all of that stuff is really sort of mushed together anymore because of the of the um, ease with which we give out this information or, you know, some people might say we're sort of tricked into it. You know, we're the product in social media um, and our, you know, information that we don't think about is being sold in ways that we don't even know. Um, and so I think that there's that a lot of people have a sense of what's really private. So even people who will put out information on social media will be really upset or offended if lots of people find out about it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So our sense of privacy doesn't match what we're actually doing, either sort of as a pragmatic thing or in terms of what we might say the Constitution protects from state interference. So that's probably really rambly. No, but. <laughs> that's
2: that's so interesting. This actually reminds me, Neil Richards, who's a law professor at WashU, he's written a really interesting book on this. Mark, I, I might recommend you pick yeah. that up. But I was it's, shocked. I you know yeah. I read this whole book on privacy. He's mm-hmm. not talking about bodily privacy. He didn't talk about Roe at all. It's yeah. all about the informational privacy.
1: Yeah. And they're linked, though, yeah. too, because there's just so much information, especially like think about wearables, you know, right now, you know, somebody is finding out what my heart rate is because I have a Fitbit on, right? Um, And so we just, we are voluntarily giving up this stuff that has real implications.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you for that question, Mark. Um, Let's go to Dee, who's calling from University City. Uh, Dee, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air.
0: Oh, hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I'm a physician, and I practiced oncology for 30 years, uh, specialty in breast cancer. And this issue is so complicated, and it just makes me angry that male politicians are delving into our privacy and our our decisions on health. So let me give you an example. Um, Every once in a while, I would see a woman come in with a diagnosis of cancer, who had two decisions. She could either get on with her therapy because she had a really aggressive cancer that had a high probability of taking her life if she didn't get treated right away, Um, or she, and and this is, I'm talking about pregnant women, Mm -hmm. Um, and I certainly dealt with a lot of catholic women that were making a decision about abortion was gut-wrenching so they could either get on with their therapy so that they could um uh you know increase their chances of survival and be able to raise the children that they already had at home but that would mean undergoing an abortion first Mm or they could forego the treatment until after they delivered and then compromise their outcome and compromise their survival and then possibly leave you know two or
2: three or five children at home without a mom. D- D- so these then, are these are just heart-wrenching choices. I mean this this must have been so hard for you dealing with this with your patients.
0: Absolutely. And no one no one loves abortion. No one loves abortion. But faced with some of these situations, you know, that's not for a politician to decide. That is
2: between a physician and her patient. And and Dee, thank you so much um, for sharing from your experience a, about what you witnessed. I mean, hearing this, it, it's hard to think about how this law could then be inserted within that process Dee's talking about.
1: Well, I think that's right. And the proponents of the law would say, well, you know, that's that's taken care of in that medical emergency language. And and I would certainly advocate for that on behalf of my patients. But there are also going to be situations where, there, where doctors aren't sure, you know, and where prosecutors um, or law enforcement might suggests that that's, you know, that that's not available.
2: And so a physician like Dee could end up in the crosshairs if if some zealous prosecutor decided to say, hey, in this case, this wasn't actually warranted. Right. Exactly. Yikes. Uh, Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Ray is calling from St. Charles County. Ray, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air.
0: Thank you for taking my call. I hope you can hear me clear. Yeah. I actually have a legal question. If a person or, okay, let's just say, if a woman is pregnant and she's impeded from or held back or prevented from having an abortion, you know, within the boundaries of the current law, is it possible for a uh, her to um, sue all those involved in impeding her abortion what what am I saying in suing is uh, cover prenatal cover postnatal cover child care
2: yeah you're you're liable for this decision I had to make uh Marcia, has anybody ever tried that <laughs> so
1: there is um uh, there is it's sort of complicated generally speaking no there's no affirmative duty necessarily to provide that um kind of support From the state. Now that's not true, and so this is different from being impeded from being able to terminate the pregnancy. But there are um, legal remedies for pursuing the partner whose genetic material is also part of um, of the fetus the person's carrying. You know, for parental or for child support and things like that. Um, But there is no real. there is something called a, a 1983 action that can be brought for violating um, rights, but that can only be brought against state actors and not individual actors. So mm. it's just you know, really there's not much that can be done if this right is violated, and if the right goes away, then there's nothing.
2: All right. Well, Ray, thank you for that idea. Sounds like unfortunately this is one that uh, Marcia does not feel is, is going to be a, a successful way to proceed on this, but I, brainstorming. All ideas are good, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> so Marcia, we just have a few minutes here, and I I want to squeeze in one last topic related to this. Uh, previously on this show, we have discussed the fact that the number of abortions being done in Missouri has already plummeted. People are going to Illinois. Um, and there's a lot of people traveling to Illinois now to have these abortions. At the same time, we have spoken on this show to State Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman. She gained a lot of national attention for introducing a bill that would make it harder to cross state lines for an abortion. It would criminalize transporting someone to have an abortion, helping and pay for this procedure out of state or instructing them on ways to end the pregnancy. Do you think this is a possibility that Missouri women aren't just looking at continuing having to go to to Illinois for these things, but that there could be people trying to block them from getting aid to do it.
1: Yeah. So the that Coleman bill didn't criminalize. It was uh, in the style of Texas's SBA that created a civil penalty that someone could sue for. But if Roe is repealed, it could be criminalized. Um, and clearly there's some appetite to do so.
2: Even if we're talking about going across state lines, it seems like there's, you know, that's Something that the Constitution on its face doesn't like to mess with.
1: Well, that's true. And so there will become very complicated questions about the ability of Missouri to regulate this. There's something called the Dormant Commerce Clause, which puts everyone, including law professors, to sleep. <laughs> but that will come in play, um, especially if Missouri tries to reach out and penalize people in other states who are engaging in help, in conduct, either providing abortion services, providing funds, uh, giving information, that kind of stuff.
2: Marsha, we began this conversation, and I said, hey, we don't need a crystal ball to see how this is all going to play out in Missouri. We already have this trigger law in the books. You've been reading from this trigger law. And yet at the same time, it seems like this could play out in so many different ways.
1: It could, and especially those interstate conflicts are really going to be huge. Um, That's one reason why there's a big push right now for um, immediate uh, federal legislation to try to prevent those kinds of interstate conflicts from ballooning. Um, So to the extent that this decision is to get rid of litigation over abortion and terminations of pregnancy, um, it's going to have the opposite effect.
2: Well, Marsha McCormick, I want to thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I enjoyed it.
2: This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here.
1: Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air?